Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. And welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Fate Crafter. It's community. Oh, hold on. Wait, let me check my notes here. Uh, <laughs> uh, all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I am your co host, Zach Armstrong, along with, as always, Ed Pocock. How are you, Ed? I'm doing well, Zach. I'm doing well. It's been a roller coaster of a week after old Bruno and his hedge fund buddies shorted Call of Discovery stock, leading to uh, the entirety of the Untamed faction uh, sort of uh, buoying buoying us up, and uh, share, shares in Call of Discovery have just gone through the roof. Yes, it's ridiculous. Amber hands, everybody. Amber hands. Uh, and today we are joined by uh, none other than. Uh, Keyforge card game designer uh, and author of Fate Crafter, if you didn't catch my very in-joke earlier, uh, Aaron Haltum. Aaron, how are you today? Hello, I'm great, yeah. I I, pre- I appreciate the uh, reference to uh, Fate Crafter there. I'm sure there's a whole, like, <laughs> two people that might get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, well, we'd like to make sure we're, we're read up, we're read up on our, on our guests, and you had mentioned offhand in the Crucible cast that you had published a tabletop RPG, and as a, uh, uh, a frequenter of that hobby myself, I just had to know, so, uh, so that was a, a lovely little surprise there. <laughs> yeah, that that was a lot of fun to uh to work on, but uh <laughs> I I'm not working on it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we we are excited to dive into our topic today, which is really going to be uh your role in Keyforge, especially getting to talk about uh your role as lead on Dark Tidings, the set coming up oh so soon. We're very excited about it. We get to see how it's unfathomable. But of course, before our main topics, we always like to get to know uh, our guests uh, a little bit better. So, Ed, do you want to uh, lead us off into discovering more about who Aaron is here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've spoken a little bit about this on the Designer Intros Crucible cast, but um, it would be great for, for our audience, I think, just to hear a little bit about your game design journey and, and how you ended up uh, being a uh, part of the development team for Keyforge. Sure. Yeah, I've been... Uh you know, playing games, uh, and, and really going heavy on them, uh, ever since I was little, I'm kind of a, uh, second generation geek. My, my dad was huge into comic books and would always take me to comic book stores. And, uh, that's where I first saw, uh, Magic the Gathering on the shelf and, uh, Spellfire, some of these old, uh, <laughs> games and, uh, old, uh, TCGs, especially. I got into all kinds of different, uh, TCGs and, uh, I, just kind of started to make my own content at some point. 
uh, I was probably around 10 years old when I when I started first homebrewing stuff. I've just always had the, the mind for that sort of thing. And again, I feel like I get that from my dad because he would always go on these long uh, what if kind of tangents where he would talk about comic books and like, well, what if uh, this guy had this power and this guy used this uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of thinking about all the different uh, possibilities and wanting to tinker with what was possible. And I think tinkering with what is possible is what game design is all about. Uh, I think that's really what I inherited, even though it's a different skill set from what my dad has. I think it's sort of the core competency that he gave me that made me a game designer and made me obsessed with uh, <laughs> going down these routes of uh, different rabbit holes of what I can put together and uh, how I can make cool mechanics and uh, design cool content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tinkering with what is possible uh, sounds like a great kind of central motto that was handed down to you. Then, then you end up in Keyforge. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does make Keyforge a pretty natural fit, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, and, and I get this feeling, this spidey sense, if you like, that Keyforge is, is, is something that both you develop for and you're also a big fan of the game. Am I, am I right in that? And what do you enjoy most about the the experience of developing for Keyforge? Oh yeah, yeah, I I love the game and and it's first of all it's just surreal to uh, work on something that Richard Garfield designed uh, is awesome. But uh, I I think he infused a lot of uh, really cool stuff into it too, and uh, I'm excited to continue to get to like push the envelope with everything that we can do uh, procedurally, and I think that's really the the magic of it. Um, and you, you've seen this sort of thing in like a lot of, uh, digital games already. Um, the kind of affordances that you can have with like, uh, random generators that are, are making content for people. Uh, but there's something a lot more enchanting about it when you're holding an actual printed object. I think that was made that way. An actual physical object. That's a unique thing for you. It seems really cool to me. That's, that's what I really, uh, like the most. And, and I think mass mutations uh with the uh enhance icons really up that game to a new level of uh coolness when you can get a, a card that's never been printed before you know it's this is my <laughs> uh rad penny with four draw icons or something ridiculous like that that's that's the the pinnacle for me of <laughs> the coolness that keyforge can reach yeah I remember seeing people will get legacies and mass mutation and then the legacy ends up enhanced. And that is just one of <laughs> the most special corner cases in Keyforge to see an enhanced legacy card that would otherwise never have that whatever kind of pip that is on it. Right. Like I think I saw Commander Remiel that way once uh, he's only appeared in, in Call of the Archons, of course. So, yeah, it's just you're, you're right that there is just so many beautiful spots that Keyforge gets to occupy that we've never really seen before in card games. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's all about the the procedural generation and uh and in uh dark tidings, you know, uh you you see that the the enhance icons continue, but uh we we're not really expanding on that. The more the cool thing that we explored was the uh evil twins <laughs> and uh the way that uh things can get modified uh in a in a more like deck-wide way um as opposed to at the card level. Uh so I think that's another avenue to continue exploring. I think we want to keep looking at both the card level and the deck level 
uh, ways that we can make unique new things. <laughs> exciting, really exciting. And Aaron, just taking us back a little bit, tell us about your your experience at FFG to date. You know, what games have you worked on, and how has that led to Keyforge and 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 that 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 part of your journey? Uh, I believe you were you were part of the development team on the the Rise of Red Skull expansion for for Marvel Champions as well. Oh sure, yeah, I've I've helped out with uh, champions uh, a little bit here and there. Um, that's always kind of been uh, a secondary job, and more just fueled by my own passion for comics. Really, that I uh, <laughs> end, up, end up talking to those guys a lot every every time uh, you know they uh, have kind of hit a rough spot. They're not sure where to go next. Uh, they'll turn to the group and say. Hey, what do we? What should we do for this character? And uh, I'll I'll jump in there and <laughs> help them come up with some ideas. And uh, so that's that's more just a thing that's happened in the room is that I've jumped in and helped a little bit, and uh, uh, Jeremy's Warren's jumped in and helped a little bit. But uh, the the main game that I worked on, the first game that I worked on at FFG was uh, Star Wars Destiny. Uh, I was working on that with Jeremy's Warren for like four sets there before the game was canceled. <laughs> and uh, then I uh, got pulled over onto Keyforge. I was actually helping out with Keyforge a little earlier than that. Um, it was on Worlds Collide was towards the end of Worlds Collide was when I first jumped in uh, and started helping just balancing and things like that. And uh, I was kind of pulling double duty on uh, <laughs> Keyforge and Destiny. So, so I'm, bouncing around the department a lot, helping out a lot. But uh, then uh, once Destiny was over, I got to focus on Keyforge full-time, which has been really cool. <laughs> awesome. And that's a seriously exciting range of different experiences to to bring to Keyforge, which is, I suppose, a mishmash of absolutely everything it could possibly be. Um, is there anything that you've, you've done in some of those those other experiences that, that you're excited to bring across to Keyforge, whether it be mechanics or flavor or formats? There's so many, so many huge uh, differences between like Star Wars Destiny and uh, Keyforge that it took me a while to uh, get my brain around uh, fully like the way that the, the formatting was different and the way that uh, um, the games had different things that they could do, different affordances, like um, just really appreciating the full scope of everything you can do in Keyforge <laughs> is a little bit mind blowing and takes a while to uh, figure out. But also it, it was a, it was a change in philosophy of, not trying to balance everything as meticulously as we did in destiny because uh destiny was a competitive game and was very uh uh numbers driven and and focused on very fine uh balancing act and also because the uh the card pool in that game uh was was pretty deep at the at the point that I came in and the the decks are only 30 cards and meant that uh there kind of was very little um variety in popular deck builds so there was if you made a card that was too strong it would be ubiquitous in all the decks immediately <laughs> it was it was a, a real problem in uh destiny more so even than lots of other uh trading card games just because of the small deck size um so i loved that uh 
coming to Keyforge, uh, I didn't have to worry about that level of minute balance as much as this broader spectrum sort of thing where we're balancing the houses across each other and individual cards can be pretty strong as long as it balances out with uh, <laughs> what the rest of the house is bringing uh, is kind of more of a holistic approach to balance maybe so th more so than a you know agonizing over every single card approach to balance which which really uh fits more my uh philosophy i think which is very holistic in its approach in general i'm always looking at the the systems within the systems more so than wanting to focus on the individual details awesome yeah uh, keyforge really i imagine is a breath of fresh air from from that standpoint and um you know we've heard in in past interviews that that you're the uh the statistics guy when it comes to uh, uh the development team for keyforge and and uh um understanding balance must be a kind of key key uh, pillar of that um correct me if i'm wrong aaron but i think the uh the 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 keyforge community is super excited for dark tidings and there's a lot of mystery and excitement around it so i feel that we should dive straight into our focus topic which is of course developing dark tidings and I, I guess I guess before we before we kick off, um, Aaron, how, how's it gone this year? Of course, it's been a, a difficult year for absolutely everybody, absolutely well, most businesses on the planet. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a difficult year for the game we love in terms of getting together with other people and having a shared experience. Um, and I imagine it's had its challenges in, in terms of the way that you go about de the development process and, of course, playtesting as well. So so what's that look like for yourselves in the development team? Yeah, it, it has uh, changed a lot. Just uh, we've been working remotely from our homes. Uh, so obviously we miss out a lot of just the, the social interaction level, the, the com camaraderie level. Uh, it's a uh, pretty pretty sad not to be around each other as much um but we still have you know daily meetings and uh get to get to chat a little bit on there we're, we're not completely isolated and uh we do chat a lot uh video chat with each other a lot especially within the development team um we'll talk almost almost daily probably have a uh, pretty long meetings going over <laughs> whatever uh, we're working on at the moment and uh so it's it's been good actually like we've been able to to remain focused i think even despite being sort of siloed off and it's probably helped us focus more <laughs> that we we don't have all the fun distractions that we had at the office as many different side conversations even though like we had great times uh, joking around with each other um yeah i think we've we've been able to focus uh pretty well and not not uh, lose too much productivity or <laughs> not get off not get off track so it's been great we we stayed on track with uh uh you know sets six and seven there and uh <laughs> i think i think it'll be it'll be good when people get to see the results uh it's it's pretty crazy that we're still producing these amazing games in this sort of ramshackle way where we're all disparate and it's it's all still coming together and it's it's kind of amazing when you see the final product actually still got there everybody everybody did their their separate parts from all over uh the state now even though we don't 
see each other physically. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it's a, a little bit harder to invade random uh, Marvel Champions uh, development meetings, I suppose, uh, when it's all digital. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, Caleb reaches out to us occasionally, though. So he. Oh, he, that's good. He misses it. He misses it. I think he misses the, the offices you know, just as much as any of us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And, uh, from other discussions we've heard from, uh, other designers who, uh, on those teams over there that it's, uh, often great to pull in another designer brain who maybe hasn't been, you know, banging their head against a wall against a particular project and say, Hey, you've got 20 minutes, come over. Can you, let's run this idea through your brain and, and see what comes out, see what mm -hmm. comes out the other side. Always a helpful thing to do in, in creative work. Certainly. Mm -hmm. best ideas always over a coffee mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or in the pub <laughs> yes yeah some, um, some of our uh, design sessions when we were still in the office i remember for for keyforge it would usually be uh the three of us like uh brad danny and myself uh sitting down and discussing all the card ideas um but sometimes we would have uh you know mj uh the designer for uh arkham horror uh, step in and help us because he was a big fan of the game uh, or uh, our manager Jim Cartwright would occasionally help us and uh, then we even had just other random employees that happened to be roaming the halls Brad would grab them <laughs> and be like hey I'm gonna th what do you what do you think a direct damage card for Brobnar should do and like he would he would uh, extract ideas from random people that had <laughs> no no time to prepare at all and just completely off the cuff and some of those were like you know the craziest the the best ideas like so far so far separate from the the path that we were going down you know it uh it's always a good breath of fresh air to just bring in random people like that <laughs> sure I love uh, that is is there a uh is there a released card that uh was at least born from a random hallway passerby through a, a moment of 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 brad improvisation with a stranger <laughs> uh ooh, i don't think i don't know of any examples sure uh, sure in that are released right now because the 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 ones that i can think of are for uh mostly for set six which is a ways from release still <laughs> mm, indeed set six confirmed set six confirmed <laughs> <laughs> well set seven confirmed <laughs> oh yeah we had set seven but we didn't have anything on set six <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness uh so speaking of sets uh that do have uh names that we can utter here on the the airwaves so Wait. we we <laughs> we know dark tidings um we know dark tidings that you were uh lead on this set which is very very exciting so uh you are probably the most appropriate person to ask uh what was uh and this is a, a question from one of our uh patron supporters uh, sky jedi um, what was the design journey like for the set? Um, we know that we've got a uh, house in unfathomable coming in. We've got the tide mechanic coming in, but what was the vision driving this set kind of from inception? And then as the cards started to fall in place. Sure. Uh, Brad was still the, the lead, uh, designer developer on the whole, uh, line at the time. And, uh, when he kind of gave me the reins for, for set seven, he already had some ideas in place and he came to me with those ideas first and, uh, let me think on them and, uh, come up with my own sort of versions of what I thought they should look like and then come back to him. So he, he kind of came to me and was like, okay, we want to do 
the Aquans as a new house. Um, we want to involve the Tide since we already have Velocanth. And we I have one other wacky idea, and that's Evil Twins. So how do you think, what do you think of Evil Twins? How do you think they should work? Uh, and how do, how do you think, uh, you know, the Tide should work and the Aquans house should work? And he uh, just sort of put that all to me. And I went off and came up with my own uh, sort of broad pitch for all that. Um, my own little mini vision document and shared that with him. And uh, we had a discussion and pretty much we were on the same page right away. It was, it was a really, really smooth process. Like he, he had all the high level ideas already and my ideas of how to flesh them out very much, I think matched up with what he had in his mind, but he was just trying to uh, give me the room to make it my own <laughs> and uh, make sure, sure. he wasn't impo imposing it on me, even though he already had such great ideas to start with. <laughs> and uh, we, we did the same thing with each house as well. Uh, we went through and said, okay, what does Untamed usually do? And what are we going to do to slightly tweak their play pattern, give them a, a unique, uh, different twist for dark tidings in particular uh so we we also uh went through and planned that out for each house tried to give them each their own little uh vision their own little quirk awesome and and just to kind of dig into one of those one of those features in particular the tide mechanic i think it's it's exciting uh for 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 the for the player base because i don't think we've had a kind of pivotal mechanic in the same way for a set certainly of course enhance was was pivotal in its own way but it built on structures that the game already had in place so um how do you foresee the tide mechanic changing the way that we play keyforge and secondly how do you feel the tide mechanic will interact with some of those older sets in keyforge with, with which don't have the tide mechanic yeah i think the the tide mechanic should be pretty fun in kind of a tug of war fashion uh i think we wanted to make the tide something that the players would have a lot of uh incentive to sort of wrestle for and we we so we started out with a very early version of the tide uh that was the tide's high or the tide is low and uh it's it was a global high for everyone low for everyone and then we made a a lot of cards that cared about whether the tide was high and a lot of cards that cared about whether the tide was low and some cards that cared about when they changed. And when we first tested that version of it, we found that it was way too symmetrical. It made sense thematically, but there was no reason for you to care necessarily whether the tide was high or low because, uh, you know, just as many of your cards might want it high as theirs do, or just as many of yours might want it low as theirs do. Um, so then we we were like, oh, it has to be more of a battle where you are vying for control of the tide, right? So we intention we went to this system next that was uh, one player controls the tide. So the tide uh, was just a card that went back and forth between either side of the table, uh, and you would seize control of the tide was was the language that we were using then. Um, so that was that was much more in the vein of what we wanted, where you were getting a benefit for uh, your control over the tide. And uh, then 
the cards would always would always benefit you if you had control almost almost universally maybe a couple weird cards that uh specifically wanted you to not have it um but usually you would want to have it and then uh all these effects that would take control over it for you and uh that was great that was that was playtesting really well and everything but then we realized oh Valocant specifically says low tide. <laughs> We're like, it can't just be the tide that you seize um, and pass control of back and forth. Otherwise, Valocant doesn't work. Uh, so mostly we arrived at the current version of the tide uh, because it had the good uh, gameplay of you still wanting one side specifically to face you. Um, but it uh, also embrace the more thematic language of high tide and low tide that Valocanth was already written in and that would uh, let us reprint Valocanth in the set, which was a goal. You know, we thought that'd be really cool. <laughs> Bring an anomaly back, make it a regular card. Um, I guess, you know, for the second time now. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, that that's got me kind of on a diatribe of uh, <laughs> how the, how the whole tide was uh, designed, but, I think uh, the title will be a lot of a lot of fun to uh, struggle for, and uh, we we also made sure that the the cost for uh, you know three chains to raise the tide. We uh, went back and forth for a long time on what was the right cost uh, to make sure that it was appropriately difficult uh, to take it back, but not prohibitively difficult to take it to take the tide uh, because we specifically wanted to make sure that it was still backwards compatible uh, with these uh, older sets. You could still, they could still play and uh, feel like they were still fighting you for the tide and there was still a real cost for them to pay, but it wasn't going to completely cripple them. You know, we didn't want to make it oppressive to, uh, to play against tide decks. We just wanted to make it uh, uh, another challenge um, and, and try to balance it accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the having the tide high for one person and low for the other, I think, um, it is such an easy picture to have in my mind, right? Because you have the card with the, the two sides on it. Uh, we'll make sure to link that in the show notes if, uh, listener, you haven't uh, seen the card yet. Um, and uh, it, it feels it's it's got a, a sense of uh, large scale to it. Uh, it's it's a bit epic, if I might use the overused word, where you are are resting the high tide from your opponent. You know, you have the the flow of the water like on your side, and it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's so it's so thematic, especially with the way some of the uh, spoiled cards we've seen that FFG has released. Uh, you know, inter interact with that, like preventing reaping when the tide is low, or or getting extra effects when the tide is high. Uh, it should be very interesting. Be very interesting to see how decks uh, kind of burst when the tide is high with different effects, or or oppress when you get the tide low on the other side. It should be very exciting. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's there's definitely some untamed decks in particular in this set. I think that can really go off with Amber Generation when they have the Tide, when the <laughs> Tide is high for them. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think also the the high Tide, low Tide uh, feels, you know, feels thematic. And uh, we considered it for uh, the Crucible. The oceans are different from Earth oceans. They're sure. weird, 
weird alien oceans and you can occasionally wander across just a bubble that's where it's like a crested wave that's just standing there and never falling down because gravity works weird on the crucible <laughs> and uh, uh also you know you you don't know if the oceans have any bottom to them at all you could explore the oceans and it's just these weird twisting corridors that go on forever um so we wanted the the oceans to be a, a weird place in the crucible when we showed that and, and not to be just a regular earth ocean or follow the same regular logic so uh it might it might seem thematic to uh have sort of the tide go back and forth between high tide low tide automatically like playtesters uh suggested that to us like what if every round it just switches from high tide to low tide that's that's the way regular tides work but we intentionally wanted to go against your intuitions there because the crucible is weird and the tide does not go in and out like normal uh you cannot set your clock by the tide on the crucible because uh there are strange atmospheric uh, <laughs> gravitational fluctuations happening all the time that might make the tide uh you know behave in ways that you completely would never expect so it's much more a matter of like whether or not you are uh ahead of the curve on what the the, the ocean's wanting to do uh is, is kind of more what high tide low tides representing than uh i guess literally whether uh you know the uh the waves are this this high or this low on the shore <laughs> yeah and now now i'm envisioning uh, an archon battle across something like the Mediterranean Sea, where the archons are literally pulling the ocean to one side of, you know, of this, uh, of the sea and then the other. Uh, and then, you know, if the players are controlling the tide like that, um, uh, it, it makes them, it gives you agency over it rather than uh, there being this larger nature force if it's automatically switching back and forth. So, yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've talked a, a little bit about how uh, you've mentioned uh, House Untamed and how you and the designers kind of looked at the houses and said, OK, you know, what's the core of this house that, that we see and how is it going to be? Uh, how is it going to uh, morph with the tide? How is it going to be a bit different? And of course, with this set, we are uh, without House Dis uh, for the first time in uh, the history of Keyforge, and now we have House Unfathomable. So, what uh, what was it like designing a control house, uh, but a house that's different than Dis and not quite controlly in in the same way? <laughs> yeah, it it was a it was a big challenge uh, to sort of re envision everything with, that we know about uh, uh, control and uh, find a completely different niche for unfathomable but um i i was always a big fan of control type decks that uh would uh would exhaust creatures and uh keep creatures locked down and that sort of thing um so it was pretty natural for me to go that route that uh you know they do a lot of exhausting a lot of preventing readying and uh they sort of keep creatures on the on the board uh longer but just uh keep them locked down and I also uh, liked that better because while board wipes are important to the game, just to uh, occasionally simplify the board state so that it doesn't bloat uh, too much, I also feel like too many board wipes and, and doing that uh, too much and having you know too much fighting also makes the game sort of uh, too hard for you to uh, get out a lot of creatures that can combo together nicely and have all these cool synergies and like do all this engine building. So uh, there's, there's always the balance in Keyforge between like 
your creature's stickiness and staying on the board uh, versus, you know, constantly wiping the board with these big wacky effects. And uh, that's, that's, that's a crucial balance. And I, I feel like um, Dark Tidings goes much more towards the uh, stickiness, staying on the board longer um, because we wanted Unfathomable to, to make this a strong appearance and be the house that doesn't have to kill all your things because they're going to keep all your things exhausted instead. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of their, their own particular take on it, which also seems more thematic because, you know, the tides are knocking you down and the tides are knocking you back and they're freezing you with ice and they're uh, befuddling you with their sonic technology and things like that. So really, really interesting. And uh, getting a, I think we're getting a glimpse about what to expect from House Unfathomable um, there. And it's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays in and how we how we see that impacting just the the types of games certainly so far um it's my impression that each set has almost had its own style of play they've been slightly different games which is which is surely a a, um, a design feature that was was intended um but let's move forward to one uh aspect of dark tidings that i am particularly excited about but is also to a certain extent i feel wrapped in certain amount of mystery at the moment and that is of course our favorite evil twin so aaron uh, yeah this is a question from our our patreon duke um what was the design journey for for evil twins and and if i may a little bit you know i i i'm fascinated you know does every card have its own evil twin and uh how often are we going to be finding evil twins in the crucible Ooh. um so like i said earlier uh the beginning of the evil twins was uh brad uh, just coming to me and saying, think about evil twins and what that means and how we would do that. Um, and uh, we pretty much came to the same conclusion right away of, okay, so this is how evil twins should work. The Archon itself becomes an evil twin, and it is a copy of another deck that's out there, except for it's that deck's evil twin. And uh, so we, we started at that that spot and then we were like okay how do we make this work <laughs> how do we actually uh implement this is it going to change their entire deck is it going to change every creature in their deck is it going to change every creature that's not a reprint is it going to change only uh, a subsection or you know is it going to randomly select a few creatures to to be weird and uh what, what we decided was that we didn't want the evil twin um, to the evil twin versions of creatures to just be procedurally tweaked in some sort of way. We, we kind of thought about that at first, but then we were like, we can achieve a lot more satisfying uh, sort of dark mirror of, e of each other effect if we actually design all the evil twins, you know, alongside their, their normal versions. And we make sure that all their abilities are actually mirrors of each other. And uh, we thought that was a lot more cool and satisfying, but that also uh, put a put a bit of a constraint on it because it's like, okay, well, obviously we can't do every card ever in your deck that way. Um, so we, what we did was we kind of went as aggressive as we could, considering we we're going to need new designs and new art for every evil twin. Uh, and we did uh, a few uh, commons, an uncommon and a rare for each house. Uh, all have... Uh, 
an evil twin version. And those are all the creatures in evil twin decks that are eligible for being flipped to uh, the evil twin versions. Um, and uh, since we had to do a smaller subset, we also thought, okay, those, those creatures that are eligible will always be flipped. So when you get an evil twin deck, um, they're, they're, you know, X number of creatures in there that are capable of being evil twins. They'll, they will always be evil twins. <laughs> It's such an inspired choice of name. I think everyone gets a vision when you hear evil twin and then combine that with the art style of Keyforge, you get this idea of the, you know, the smirking evil twin that comes out of nowhere and changes the plot. Um, and is that the impact that you want these uh, evil twin decks to have on the game? Do you want them to to change the plot or are they are they a quirk of the Crucible? Well, I, I'd say they change the plot. Yeah, they're... We... With our uh, sort of designs for the evil twins, we wanted them to be very uh, different from what you would expect them to be. So we weren't necessarily aiming for, you know, one version should be more powerful or less powerful. Uh, we were simply saying that the evil twins usually going to do the inverse of what their uh, normal version does. And like, how can you put a creative tweak on that? And we were also intentionally letting them be uh pretty um weird for their color uh which is which is to say like we would have uh sanctum creatures that uh exalt instead of capture or something like that uh so they would uh dip into mechanics that are usually associated with other houses uh because they're evil and they, you know, are specifically bucking the system, you know? So, so, uh, this was a, a fun way for us to, uh, have the houses, you know, houses do things that they don't normally do. So it's similar to, uh, just getting a, a maverick, uh, you know, card in that, in that house. So you can do things with that house that you usually couldn't do because these evil twins are, uh, so nefarious and, uh, <laughs> you know, subversive yeah yeah i know in the uh spoiler we were fortunate enough to get uh we got uh the evil twin version of pi Sweven in logos who when the tide is high uh has uh reap uh you know your opponent discards a random card from their hand which um is uh really it's kind of a, a less strong toxin from call of the archons which is three power and does that automatically but the thing is it's in logos you have a a random hand discarding effect in logos so it makes sense that that uh that sweven was uh dialed back a little bit for that so yeah that's really cool to hear that's very cool to hear mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, i guess i guess just because they're doing things that their house doesn't normally do doesn't mean that they are going to be good at it that's that's, that's a, another part of keeping the game somewhat balanced yeah oh of course of course it would be uh if it was at least as strong as toxin and you had you know a house with a few of those plus some regular logo speed you would get speed and oppression all in one turn which uh may may be a perhaps a bit too much uh, maybe not who knows um and uh something that you said uh, intrigued me you said uh there's one uh at at rare rarity there's a uh, one uh, kind of evil twinable creature per house in Dark Tidings at rare? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think we did one rare, uh, two to three commons and one to two uncommons. I'm trying. It's It's been so long since I designed it at this point. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Of but course. yeah, 
yeah, we wanted uh, to make sure that uh, there were more uh, evil twins at common because uh, that is going to get represented in, in your deck a lot more and have a lot more, uh, you know, impact on that. We'd, we'd get a lot more bang for our buck with all the uh, evil twin commons that we designed. Oh, of course. And uh, are you able to say whether like with an evil twin deck, are there going to be a certain number of those evil twin creatures guaranteed or is it just whatever happens to be in their flips? I think there's I think there's guaranteed. I, I mean, mm-hmm. just that uh, your deck wouldn't be an evil twin deck if it contained zero evil twins. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so yeah. there's some threshold. There's some I, threshold there. I don't I don't think you can. I don't think your deck will be an evil twin deck if it has zero. So I, the threshold might just be one, but <laughs> right. It would uh, just be a regular twin. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, that's great. Now I'm really going to be on the lookout for those, uh, uh, evil twinned rare cards, figure out what those are, see how rare those end up being. <laughs> you, for, for some of these, uh, uh, you know, questions of exactly how the, uh, algorithm works when creating evil twin decks you would almost have to have uh our uh tech guru evan hall on here he he knows uh uh the algorithm better than i do so some some of these uh you know if you get really into exactly what the algorithm is doing you'd have to ask evan you know (laughs) i think this sounds like a good idea (laughs) For, for an interview um we have another question from our patreon duke um and he asks have you explored different formats for Keyforge? Um, and might we see some of those formats becoming formal in the future? Um, we know that you've spoken previously about multiplayer. It's been mentioned on Crucible Cast, I think. Um, might we see? Might we see it solidif- Sorry, words. Might we see it solidified in the future? Oh, you might. <laughs> you might. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've definitely taken a a close look at uh, some uh, multiplayer variants, so and uh, I think I think you'll be excited about it. <laughs> I can't can't uh, give you too much of a preview, but yeah. <laughs> awesome! Fantastic. I will take this as an excited yes. Um... <laughs> yeah, what a what a great uh, if if we do get that at some point, I'm just uh, imagining how fun that could be for the casual Keyforge nights when things are safe to meet again, having any number of people you can make sure people. Are, are in are in a weird and wonderful game of Keyforge that way. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm w- waiting excitedly, waiting excitedly over here. I think we all need a bit more of the, the whimsy of Keyforge's world at the moment. We all really do. And and on that point, Aaron, what, uh, yeah, are you, first of all, are you excited about the future of Keyforge? And um, secondly, mo- what, are you, what are you most excited about, about Keyforge's future? Oh, <laughs> uh, Man, there's 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 so many things like I I you know there's one big thing I can't tell you without being a spoiler and uh, <laughs> uh, there's a uh, also you know just uh, set six and set seven are both uh, reaching into exciting new territories as well um, you know of course eventually there's new houses I'm not going to tell you when or how many but uh, we've we we do have a uh, you know, multiple new houses cooked up uh, that we want to uh, show you guys at some point. And uh, I, I'm excited for all that. I think uh, uh, set eight um, is the one that I'm really excited for now. Uh, that's the one that, that I've just 
kind of recently started brainstorming on. So maybe that's just the the newness bias, but uh, <laughs> I'm I think that that one's going to be really cool. Um, yeah, it's hard it's hard to say without uh, spoiling anything. <laughs> This has given me a huge grin on my face, and I think every <laughs> single person that is a fan of or who who loves Keyforge will uh, will have a similar grin on their face. So thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> glad to hear you're excited. Yes, and you, uh, we would know you would have to be vague for answering those questions, but to to hear your excitement is is reassuring. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, lots of fun stuff. Yeah, lots of continuing to mess with the the algorithm is always the the most exciting thing. Probably is what can we do next, uh, and and what what uh, will our tech guru let us get away with before he says no? Stop, that's too much. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I uh, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that each set seems to be exploring. It, honestly, it just feels like dipping toes in the water with you know the bruise and then uh enhancements and then evil twins and the tide it just feels like we're like really uh you all are dipping your toes in the water for each one and um i know multiple of you have just said there are things you're so excited for for the future that you know can't be done in any other card game uh and i just i can't wait to hear uh, as you all practice with these early sets which are amazing on their own uh i i do not doubt that they are building blocks too even crazier and and more bonkers things to come for Keyforge. Yeah, and and I guess one thing that I can uh, tell you about a little bit that that's not a complete spoiler is that uh, uh, so there will be the thirty eighth card going forward is something that we like to continue to play with. So mm. um, for Dark Tidings, that's the Tide token, um, and then there'll be a reference on the backside of it. Um, but uh, going forward, you know, we're excited to keep getting to play with that now we we have this whole other extra card now that we can uh, keep uh doing strange things to the game with so <laughs> uh that's something else that we'll continue to explore in sets going forward for the foreseeable future i would imagine it's 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 a whole fun new avenue <laughs> excellent oh that is great that is great very excited about that yeah, the possibilities almost feel endless there. That's um, that's that's amazing. So, Aaron, once again, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Um, and uh, where can where can people find you if you want to be found? That is, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm on uh, Facebook, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, they can they can also. I'm I'm monitoring the. Uh, Facebook Keyforge group. Uh, so I, I've occasionally popped in there to chat. Um, so that's that's probably a good spot to uh, to chat with me or, uh, you know, send, uh, if you have rules questions, send them to the, the uh, actual rules forum. Awesome. We will be sure to do just that. Thank you again so much, Anna, for coming on. It's been a real treat. If you're enjoying Call of Discovery, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. If you're new to Keyforge, please visit the new player guide on Arcana Arcana, which is the Keyforge wiki that we've linked below, where you can get started on your own unique journey into this wonderful game. If you are looking to support us, Call of Discovery, monetarily, please visit our Patreon, which we've also linked below, where you can sign up to support us monthly and enjoy rewards like our exclusive discords, where we get many topics and questions for the show like we did today. 
Let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across all of the social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. And be sure to check out that website, callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? Discovery.